right, all right, here we are once more back at the third pillar of reflections. Welcome to my podcast. Uh, thank you for tuning in. It's a pleasure to have you back today. And um, welcome, everybody. I'm thankful for all the lovely feedback I received in the last couple of days. Today's my birthday, uh, so that's the second part of my second episode. I'm doing today and uh, as a gift for you so to say and have been pondering the last days on how to continue and um, yeah thanks everybody for the nice feedback and the commentaries uh, the, the, the comments I received and uh, helped me quite a lot um, yeah and so today we are at the second part uh, of the topic I addressed last time already, it's the, the topic of darkness and light and their shadow from an esoteric and Jungian point of view. So for the ones that uh, haven't listened to my second episode's first part, uh, go back and check it out and then you can continue on this one because that's the continuous part, so to say. And um, yeah, so I will go today more into the symbology a little bit first and continue with some quotes and uh, insights I gathered in the last days to further this um, topic and give more detail on the terms light, darkness and the shadow. And um, yeah, we'll probably do a third part even, which then goes more into the dark moon goddess um, archetypes and the connection to blood and moon alchemy especially menstruation mysteries and um, how this whole story was distorted and twisted as well and how it's coming back now in a um, different way and how we can gather a lot of healing information and and um, insights to what these episodes in a cyclic uh, phenomena means to us as humanity uh, what the feminine principle within us is uh, is there for and what, how it's coming back and what it's supposed to also um yeah bring bring with it different things so that's going to be probably the the third part it's going to be about the uh, moon cycles and the connection to the menstrual cycle of the bleeding human and um yeah moon and blood alchemy magic that's going to be another part then okay so coming back now to today's second part darkness and light in their shadow um I'm going to quote a um, a text from Manly P. Hall once more from his book, The Secret Teachings of All Ages. And I'm going to go into the symbology a little bit here with him, so to say. And I ask you to listen uh, carefully because it's not always the easiest to understand him, but he's very precise and well artic articulated and uh, spoken about these kind of mysteries. So he says that in symbolism, the body is divided vertically into halves. So the right half being considered as light and the left half considered as darkness. And by those, he says, unacquainted with the true meanings of light and darkness, the light half was denominated spiritual and the left half was named material so far. So light is the symbol of objectivity then and darkness of sub subjectivity. Uh, he continues saying light is a manifestation of life and is therefore posterior to life. 
and he says that which is anterior to light is darkness, in which light exists temporarily, but darkness exists permanently. And he keeps on saying, as life precedes light, its only symbol is darkness, and darkness is considered as the veil which must eternally conceal the true nature of abstract and undifferentiated being. The second part of the quote, he says, in ancient times, men fought with their right arms and defended the vital centers with their left arms, on which was carried the protecting shield. So the right half of the body was regarded therefore as offensive and the left half as defensive. And for this reason, also the right side of the body was considered masculine and the left side feminine. So here we can see where this derives from. It's a historical archetypal journey almost where we see how these things develop. Why do we call the left feminine and why do we call the right masculine from one perspective at least. I mean, it's not the entire picture, but it's an interesting point. And um, so he continues saying, several authorities are of the opinion that the present, prevalent, uh, that the present prevalent right-handedness of the race is the outgrowth of the custom of holding the left hand in restraint for de defensive purposes. So here we see a pattern, a, co a collective unconscious pattern, so to say, that we all carried from long long time ago I would, I would argue that we automatically you know live out and it's embedded into our code or was embedded into our code into our programming and that's how we define these things almost naturally even of course there's a lot of discussion if this is natural or if this is uh, made I would say it is kind of kind of made natural or made and therefore became natural I think we can argue that nothing entirely is maybe natural in that sense because everything was somehow um, created, made and um, agreed upon, you know, be it subconsciously or consciously, as a collective, of course. So he says in his last part of the, of the quote, Furthermore, as the source of being is in the primal darkness which preceded light, so the spiritual nature of man is in the dark part of his being the heart is on the left side so we see here that um, as I said already in the first uh, part of my last episode my second episode that there is the primordial she there is the the, the, the real darkness which is confused with the, with, the, with the energy of the shadow most often but it's a different concept and a different energy so the first was the darkness that birthed the light and uh, to emphasize this once more, I think it's a very important point um, to get away, therefore, from the stigma of evil and bad concerning darkness, but something that is a principle that was um, very much oppressed, suppressed, and um, yeah, thrown away from our awareness, but it is connected to also the, the feminine, and therefore now feminine coming back, it brings a lot of... Uh, new qualities that we might be afraid of but that have been part of us that we just simply forgot and uh, abandoned so with this coming back a lot of things come back within us and without us as we can see collectively also right now and yeah so it's a there's in a connection with these kind of abandonment which, which then also became the shadow you know the femininity lies in our collective shadow but it is a quality that precedes the shadow as a primordial darkness which is something that is not evil and bad. I hope I can make this as clear as possible by saying that. 
and uh, I mean I'm repeating myself sometimes a little bit but this is also because it's quite a complex subject that needs to be clarified maybe more than once and um, so so central to to most of the of the mystical and esoteric teachings was the understanding actually that the feminine aspect of God you know God the mother um, was actually the means by which self-realization and spiritual evolution to 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 this God awareness how we call it occurred so um, Christ actually if we now talk about the 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 archetype we could call it or the the title because Christ actually is a title it's not a person Jesus was the person Christ is kind of a um, a title or something that you realize so Christ venerated the divine mother as the Holy Spirit and it is this power actually described in the East um, for example as residing in the human being as the Kundalini in the base and um, so the Holy Spirit is called somehow it it's depicted by the by the dove you know by the bird but it's actually the female principle of the Trinity and it's quite interesting that in patriarchal Christianity mostly it is depicted as something that is not obviously female and that is kind of an it so there's the father the son and the Holy Spirit but in my argument or in my uh, in my view it should be the father the son and the Holy Mother and um, well this is just another hint towards uh, how it used to be there and it was still not really cut out of the whole narrative but it used to be changed or it, it changed its its narrative into something that was not very visible anymore you know i mean we of course we have mary the mother in christianity we have mary magdalene but you know they don't really have a high standard uh, in, in christian religion at, at least from what i know i mean correct me if i'm wrong but i know that uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, is definitely respected, but she does not really have a huge place in the whole narrative. You know, she's the virgin mother, and still God is like this amazing creature that put himself somehow in the belly of of Mary. And Mary Magdalene, I mean, you know, she was way more than just uh, the follower of Jesus. And um, if you know more about the whole story, you know, I mean, this this is quite obvious. And she was depicted as a whore, you know, which is very misunderstood because. Um, Especially virgin is also something that is not literally understood, but esoterically. I will go into that another time. But uh, a virgin is not not a woman that is particularly not having sex before. You know, it's a it's a it's an esoteric um, term that symbolizes something concerning a female. And the same with Mary Magdalene being a whore. It does never meant that they were actually whores. You know, they were free women, so to say. She was a not just a disciple, but she was a uh, and equal to Jesus, you know, she was uh, one of the priestesses of Isis from Egypt. People argue there's a theory about that. I'm not ever saying here uh, definite claims or definite truth. I will never claim that I know exactly how it is, but I I, I will reflect upon certain theories. So she was, uh, you know, depicted as uh, as a free woman that uh, were not bound by patriarchal structures of monogamy and. And therefore, um, but in this kind of narrative in the Christian times, back then, after it, the whole story happened, I mean, of course, it turned into that 
diminishing of the of the female. So you know you can see over and over again how the female was put into a shadow and diminished and stigmatized, and we all carry this wound to this day within us without even knowing. Like we diminish our inner feminine side, we diminish the women as a collective out there. Everything that's feminine is even used as a curse word. Don't be such a pussy. Don't be such a sissy girl. You know you can see how people subconsciously use these words to curse to hurt people but they're not weak you know these kind of attributes are not weak they're they're just attributes that have been deemed evil and are turning into something which they're not so that's why i last time also said for example soft is something i would uh, connect to femininity and hard i would connect to masculinity but both are strong powers if they're especially in balance but either on their own they are strong powers so weakness here has no place. Weakness for me is, is denying the opposite. That is actually a weakness for me. Denying the other, holding on to something, not falling into, not dying into something that brings back the other half. Well, um, so on and so on. I could go on for this uh, for a long time. I'm trying to make a point here that uh, a lot of things are upside down, as I said also the last time already. And we have to kind of relearn things and remember things and most possibly uh, have to learn to feel again, you know, feeling and emotions, being connected to this forgotten element of our half um, that was that is missing um, is something that is deeply, you know, people are deeply afraid of it, to f deeply feel, to deeply, you know, be vulnerable and, and have emotions and whatever kind of emotions. And also with the coming back of the feminine that doesn't just come back these kind of, um, nice attributes that we connect to the feminine that comes back a lot of hidden anger or hidden hidden frustration or just pain that was just you know cast away for such a long time and endured so this is coming back too and it's definitely not coming back in a nice way and i think we should embrace that too you know and go into that kind of dark spot look at it and 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 be ready to be faced and challenged with a lot of intense emotion before it can get you know nicer or better so to say but there's nothing inherently evil or bad about these very intense emotions or negative emotions because they are there for a reason. The more we embrace them, the more we put them back into the narrative, they will change into a more balanced one. But these archetypes, these dark, dark goddess archetypes, they are, they are important. They, they are carrying a power that we also sometimes use and need. And to fight against them and conquer them will just bring you further into neurosis and complexes if you look from a young and psychological, psychological way, you know, um, to not embrace your soul and the soul of the world, the anima mundi, it will make you very neurotic, you know, trying to control something. But these forces, they come back to us either way. The unconscious will always find a way to you. Um, if you don't find it in religion uh, or another spiritual uh, discipline, you will find it through love, through romantic love, for example. This is another way how the unconscious tries to connect your conscious mind, your rational mind, back to your soul, you know, your subconscious, your un like your emotional, your intuitive um, part. So, romantic love is something that we developed in the in the West, especially. And uh, the the question is why. I mean, I will go into that another time, more detailed, as a, as an as an own episode. But there's a very nice book. It's called We. The Psychology of Romantic Love by Robert Johnson. I just finished. And it's about this, that uh, the question is, what is romantic love? Is it true love? And why did it develop in Europe um, since a couple of hundred years? 
uh, is it maybe a substitute for uh, religious um, practices and a connection, spiritual connection that we're missing because of what happened to us as a collective in Europe also, you know, first the witch trial thing, like the, the eradication of the pagan roots we carry, then having Christianity, which also then, you know, had to kind of step away for making space for the scientific revolution. And we became more rational and more mind-based and more intellectual. And we lost the connection to our deep intuitive feeling faculties, to our soul in Jungian terms. And that made us really neurotic and very uh, OC, you know, OCDs and a lot of mental dis disabilities um, are, coming, are com coming from this kind of uh, split, I would argue. And so, yeah. This is uh, a little off the, the, the main narrative here, but I think it's an important part. So to come back means to, you know, to die into your soul with your conscious mind, but that needs a, a mature ego, a mature light, a mature day consciousness, because you have to be ready to die a little bit, you know, to, into something that then complements you, so to say, instead of believing that you have to fight against it, you know, because you want to have this very... Um, yeah, extreme um, compensating masculine day consciousness that, that tries to be the king and hold its power you know, instead of like dying into the ocean of the unconscious and then being saved by its own queen by its feminine part you know, that's actually the road and romantic love is that pursuit of, a, of an individual subconsciously to try to be complete again you know, to try to find that soul out there in another human being instead of within but then you're projecting conti continuously the desire to connect with your soul onto that to that uh, being out there and you don't see it as a human being you don't see it as an individual who has his own life it's the god or the goddess you know um, that you kind of not really to be justified you know put on this other person to complete you and this leads of course to disaster but this is because we have been you know, eradicated and we lost our spiritual connection. And the more you find into your spiritual connection um, within, you will see that the relationships out there will also transform. You will see more the human being, will not put them so much on a worshipping pedestal, you know, trying to make them the person that has to complete you, and so on and so on. Other people lose themselves in work, you know, they, tr they try to connect with their soul somehow through the obligation of being a good worker you know or gambling or drugs you know everybody's just searching for this other part be it a human being or a substance or an occupation but eventually we have to come back to ourselves find that part within to reconnect and then we can have a healthy mature relationship to things and people but that also means to dive into your shadow into the abundant parts because that's what you want to reconnect bring into the middle, unite, and therefore become the true self. So yeah, this is, um, this is a, a huge rant, so to say. A positive rant, of course, and motivating rant. And um, to go further into the subject here, I will quote uh, something from the book Dispelling Wetiko by Paul Levy. Very amazing book. Call it's uh, talking about the the virus of vetico. They call it. It's a native term in different um, different ways to pronounce it and write it. But it's basically, it's called vetico. It's from the natives, um, Native Americans especially. I think different tribes use it in different words, but it's the same meaning. It's a mind virus. It's uh, we could call it the immature ego um, 
today. I will also do a podcast on the difference between ego looked from a spiritual, Eastern spiritual or Western idealized perspective and the ego from a psychological point of view because there's also a big difference. If I say ego, people would like, oh, ego's bad. Ego's is like lower and less. And it's like, nah, it's not really true. But we have to distinguish here a lot and explain to make it more clear. I will do that another time. But here, you know, the ego is, so to say, the immature, mind-hungry, um, greedy component of our existence. So Paul Levy, says, Paul Levy says, joining the shadow with its light is, spiritually speaking, to be in possession of great wealth. And a medieval proverb says, that's very nice, light over darkness is the Antichrist, but light through darkness is the Christ. Christ here depicting the heart, the, the unity conscious between both polarities. Light is ultimately revealed through darkness. It needs darkness, for otherwise how could it appear as light? And light only has meaning when it illuminates something dark. Our inner realization isn't worth much if it doesn't help us recognize the darkness within us. So knowing our own darkness gives us the best opportunity for dealing with the darkness of others. In alchemy, the most evil figure, the very creature of darkness itself, is destined to become the medicine. The darkness of the unconscious stands in a secret, compensatory relationship to us, supplying everything we need for awakening to our wholeness. It is helpful to remember that it is darkest right before the dawn. Hallelujah. We could uh, apply this to current situation as well. And uh, it's a very beautiful, beautiful quote in my opinion. And uh, especially when it comes to, uh, to, the, to the point that the way that we encounter others tells a lot about how we have encountered ourselves. You can meet people in their darkest spot if you have met yourself there. Otherwise, you can't. You just simply can't. I have experienced this in real life and <laughs> with others and myself. And I know now through experience that uh, the more you have encountered yourself, the better you can stay with other people, just sit in their moment, you know, whatever it is. So a lot of people, you know, in spiritual communities, but in general, subconsciously, consciously, they, they kind of wander in, in, in darkness, you know, trying to seek the light somewhere out there, somewhere out there. But they're failing to realize that the light actually, and this very ironically, is in the heart of their darkness. You don't have to go anywhere. You just have to turn inwards. And as one of my uh, main teachers and friends um, said to me, he said, the longest spiritual journey a human being has to do is 60 centimeters. It's from the head to the heart. That's it. You don't have to walk further than 60 centimeters. So, yeah. And uh, of course, there's also a shadow, so to say, to shadow work. There's uh, the, the thing that, if you think, for example, shadow work is about self improvement by way of making the negative and, and, and these, all these unsavory parts of yourself better or getting rid uh, of them or replacing them with better or more acceptable habits and you know, become more positive and patterns like this, then you do not actually understand what shadow is. You know, it's, uh, it's like, like, like a trap and don't fall into this trap. Remember, shadow does not simply mean the violent or ugly aspects of you. Shadow is whatever part of you you have disowned you know, and put away. So it can be your innocence, it can be the love of life, it can be your courage. Uh, everything could be in the shadow. So shadow is whatever you have disowned by choosing instead of 
like to identify with its polarity. And the continual judgment and desire to get rid of shadow is in fact actually uh, the essence of what creates shadow. So you have to be ready to sit with your shit, to sit there and not trying to go in there with the intention to get out. The only way through, you know, is, uh, sorry, the only way out is through. The only way out is in. So therefore the point, you know, much of, much of what I hear these days uh, as shadow work is actually just the definition of what shadow is, you know. So that's, that's quite uh, ironic. I, uh, I uh, was inspired uh, of these words by Maya Luna. Uh, she's, a, she, she's an author. I quote sometimes on Facebook things of her and uh, I made some notes um, to go deeper into that kind of aspect that shadow work can also carry a shadow. And everybody who works with this has to be aware of that. So just to leave a little note here. Yeah, so apparently our existence is just a brief little crack of light between two eternities of darkness. And if you have listened until now, you made it until now and you understood the concept of darkness, that's actually a beautiful thing. So this crack of light is something amazing between two amazing oceans of darkness. So nothing of this is really bad. It's just... One is awareness and one is unconsciousness. And that's you know, our duty and our, our goal, I would say, as human beings, to, to shine that light into the ocean of consciousness, unconsciousness and make things become whole again, make us, ourselves, become whole again, reclaim, you know. Our healing is kind of remembering who you are in totality. So, and then there is, uh, to say, to end this whole thing, and stepping a little bit over my time, actually, of 25 minutes um, there's a very nice uh, quote from the Rosicrucian um, mysteries and it says like when the rose meets the cross the drama ends and we enter eternity and maybe not everybody will understand that but I leave it here eternity in that sense means the heart you know it's also called infinity so the drama ends the moment we, we truly enter the path of the heart or enter our heart and yeah, I encourage everybody to to be brave enough and to be willing and curious enough to do that, to to claim back what's yours and understand that nothing out there really wants to, or in there really wants to destroy you. It just wants to make you whole, but it's will it will test you until then. And it's you, it's basically you. There's nothing out there. Uh, yeah, that's so far. Thank you very much, everybody, for listening. That is the third pill reflection. And I'm happy to hear you next time. And have a beautiful evening.